welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Nashville, Tennessee. Last week we looked at mindfulness and its function as a regulator for effort. That is, it recollects whatever standards are relevant to the current situation and then puts them forward as a determinant of present practice. Effort puts those standards into practice. We're mindful when we remember we're supposed to be doing such and such. We are not mindful when we forget. Right mindfulness recollects dharmic standards as we practice in our everyday life. Many of these are ethical, but are instructions for what we do on the cushion, like observe the breath, are standards to be mindful of as well. In some moments, we remember to observe the breath. In other moments, we forget. Mindfulness is knowing what we're supposed to be doing right now. So let's go on to the Satipatthana itself. This is the 10th discourse in the Majjhima Nikaya, the middle-length collection of the Pali Canon. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Kuru country, where there was a town of the Kurus named Kama Saddhamma. There he addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied. The discourses generally begin with, Thus have I heard, then give some information about the setting in which the discourse was spoken. The Blessed One said this, Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four Satipatthanas. In short, whatever the Satipatthana is, it's powerful and has powerful results. It produces awakening. Awakening is described in different ways, including the ending of suffering, purification from greed, hatred and delusion, nibbana, the end of the cycle of life and death. I should remind listeners, however, that the Satipatthana is not a standalone practice. It has prerequisites that you dare not neglect. In a discourse in the Samyutta Nikaya, an eager monk wants to jump into contemplative practice right away, and the Buddha determines he is not yet ready. He tells them, Bhikkhu, purify the very starting point of wholesome qualities. And what is the starting point of wholesome qualities? Virtue that is well purified and view that is straight. Then, Bhikkhu, when your virtue is well purified and your view straight, based on virtue, established upon virtue, then you should develop the four satipatthanas in a threefold way. Virtue and view, that is, right understanding, right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood first. 
then the four satipatthanas. The threefold way mentioned here is described as contemplating internally, externally, and both internally and externally, which we'll get to in the course of these talks. It's repeated throughout the Satipatthana Sutta. In fact, internal, external, and both internal and external, I regard as the heart of the Satipatthana. Let's look at the word Satipatthana itself. It's a compound of sati, mindfulness, which we now thoroughly understand, plus upatana, which means literally standing next to or standing close or attending to. Most translators seem to agree with this analysis, though earlier translators derived the compound from patana rather than upatana, which means literally standing forth or establishing rather than standing close or attending to. In an earlier talk, I described mindfulness as attentive recollection, in that it attends closely to the practice situation in order to recollect what is relevant to that situation. This is upatana. Here's how I picture it. Upatana might be what a nurse does. She stands close to her patient in order to care for him. A yogi stands close to the present practice situation or to the chosen center of attention in order to care for it. The nurse brings all her relevant skills and knowledge to bear in attending to the patient's well-being with mindfulness. A yogi brings her right understanding to bear in attending to the center of attention in the present situation. So we can translate the compound as either mindfulness attending, or a little more elegantly, attending with mindfulness. The discourse continues with a brief description of the four satipatthanas. What are the four? Here, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu abides contemplating body, in body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating feelings and feelings, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating mind in mind, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating phenomena in phenomena, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. Our overarching task in Satipatthana is contemplation, observation, examination, or investigation of one aspect or another of our experiential world. Those aspects of the world are divided into four main categories, body, feelings, mind, and phenomena. We will see that the bulk of the sutta is about 20 distinct exercises, each focused on another aspect of experience. For instance, the first focuses on the breath. 
The Pali word for contemplation used throughout the Satipatthana is anupasana, literally seeing along or watching. Notice that the word anupasana is similar to the perhaps more familiar word vipassana, where the first means seeing along, vipassana is literally seeing apart or seeing into, that is, analysis or insight. We do this too as we observe, but the word vipassana does not occur in this text. When combined with modifiers, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, we see that contemplation or observation here is at the level of investigation. Ardent implies a great deal of energy and sincerity. In Zen, we are asked to sit with the question, what is it? That is, with continuous curiosity. Fully aware is in the same vein, listening intently to the object of investigation as it speaks for itself. Mindful sits here rather modestly in the middle of this passage, given that it alone is what puts the sati in satipatthana. It brings the wisdom of the Dharma at the right time to bear on the present task. The standards, viewpoints, analyses, and guidance that we acquire through right understanding. It is what we must continually recollect and be mindful of in order to practice Satipatthana, including the instructions of the Satipatthana itself. There are a couple of additional points in contemplating body in body, feelings in feelings, etc., ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. First, what is this body in body? We tend not to see things directly. Full awareness is difficult. The expression body in body has to do with attention. It limits attention to the body in itself and excludes extraneous thoughts we might want to include in our observations, such as, what a magnificent physique, or I need to get more exercise and quit eating cheesecake. Just the bare body with no opinions about it. The rest is a distraction from the kind of investigation we hope to achieve in the Satipatthana. Finally, having put away covetousness and grief for the world is a common formula having to do with the responsibility of right effort to keep the hindrances at bay in order that mindfulness is not lost in the process. The hindrances are a set of five factors that tend to undermine mindfulness and concentration, to distract us, to make us forget. Recall that right effort provides the energy of practice. Every time there's resistance to right anything, then right effort is called for. If it's time to meditate and we are just too lazy, laziness is to be weeded out and ardency needs to be watered. If we really want to flirt with our neighbor's wife, sensual passion is to be weeded, contentment with our own hapless wife watered. If we keep forgetting to watch the breath, our distractions are to be silenced. 
Often the effort required is enormous. We may be dealing with ingrained habits or natural instinctive behaviors that lead us astray. Right effort is fundamental to our practice, for we need to overcome unskillful tendencies in order to practice generosity, harmlessness, and harmony and anything else. The hindrances are unskillful tendencies that vex contemplation, which make the mind agitated or dull, distracted, and forgetful. The hindrances are lust, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and doubt. Subduing all of them for a period of time, we produce a degree of seclusion from worldly concerns, which is very conducive indeed to contemplative practice for instance, in seated meditation. Notice once again that they are unskillful or unwholesome factors that trouble us, that prevent the mind from settling. The mind delighting in wholesome factors like renunciation or overflowing with too darn much kindness is not one hindered from mindfulness and concentration. But the mind caught in unwholesome factors like greed or under the shadow of hatred is the mind far from mindfulness or concentration. This is actually the main reason why we want to perfect virtue before we take up the practice of Satipatthana. In brief, this passage, body in body, feelings in feelings, etc., Ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world, is a toolbox of mental faculties we draw on in our contemplation. The one important factor that is not referred to in this passage is concentration, but it's brought up in connection with the Satipatthana in many secondary texts. The mindful observation while holding the hindrances at bay leads quite readily to concentration. Recall from last week that the factors of awakening begin with mindfulness, investigation, and energy clearly connected to the Satipatthana that predicts the unfolding of concentration. Samadhi belongs very much in the toolbox of the Satipatthana, as we will see in the course of these talks. So, we've got our toolbox. Each tool is a factor of the Noble Eightfold Path or closely associated. Each tool is a kind of practice in itself, but when brought together and functioning in harmony, produces remarkable results in internalizing the Dharma, in helping us to see through the eyes of the Buddha. Mindfulness is one of those tools, but plays the central role of providing the interface between understanding and practice through recollecting moment by moment the Dharma. In fact, the very name Satipatthana acknowledges that role. Moreover, right mindfulness is sometimes equated with Satipatthana. And what bhikkhus is right mindfulness? Here bhikkhus, a bhikkhu dwells observing the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, 
having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. Then the same thing is repeated for feelings in feelings, mind in mind, and phenomena in phenomena. This is right mindfulness. This cannot be a complete definition in itself, since we learned last week that right mindfulness is involved in remembering to practice right everything else. Don't throw that Molotov cocktail. Remember the precept not to assault living beings. But the Satipatthana is the core practice of right mindfulness. Now, notice that mindfulness as recollection does not sound at all like how it is defined by modern teachers. For instance, Sylvia Bornstein tells us that mindfulness is the aware, balanced acceptance of the present experience. It isn't more complicated than that. It is opening to or receiving the present moment, pleasant or unpleasant, just as it is, without either clinging to it or rejecting it. And John Kabat-Zinn tells us, Mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. The great Sri Lankan-American monk, meditation teacher, and scholar Bhante Gunaratana writes, Mindfulness is non-conceptual awareness. Another English term for sati is bare attention. These are all 20th century definitions. The most I can say is that all of these are real experiences as we practice satipatthana and that mindfulness is implicated in them. In practical terms, it is certainly useful to have a word to orient ourselves around. But mindfulness cannot produce these experiences by itself. It takes the whole toolbox to produce these experiences. Moreover, these definitions are not sufficient to characterize the Satipatthana either, with its constellation of interacting factors. Where, for instance, would right understanding enter into the Satipatthana? And without the influence of right understanding, how can we internalize the Dharma or see through the eyes of the Buddha? They miss the core function of mindfulness, which makes the Satipatthana, in a real sense, an extension of right understanding, as we learned in a previous talk. I'm convinced mindfulness is recollection pure and simple in the Buddhist teachings, but that it is used in practice contexts that demand a high degree of attentiveness. In collaboration with the toolbox of other factors specified in the Buddhist teachings, certain experiences are produced, prominent among which is samadhi. It is no mystery why the Buddha called this key factor, sati, or memory. He was very precise in his language and skilled in teasing apart the cognitive factors involved in some complex dynamic phenomena. So, in any case, satipatthana is a refined practice of mindful observation. What do we observe, and how do we, equipped with our toolbox, observe it? 
The bulk of the Satipatthana Sutta is a series of about 20 exercises, each concerned with investigation and analysis of a distinct topic of experience. We'll begin to look at those next week, beginning with breath.